0: It is the people who must save the environment. It's the people who must make their leaders change. So we must stand up for what we believe in. And we cannot be intimidated.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Educated and Expelled. This is the second full episode of our show, and you just heard our subject for today environmental and political advocate, Wangari Mathai. I'm so excited to share her story, and I'm having so much fun with this podcast. But as most of my journalism professors say, I have a few housekeeping things to go over before we get started. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to focus on revamping the WordPress website. I think having a website is a great tool for sharing additional information, so I want to make sure it's user-friendly. If there are any WordPress fiends out there, this is my professional cry of help. Also, Educated and Expelled now has an Instagram. I think it's a pretty universal opinion that Instagram is the most concise platform for sharing images. And the ultimate goal of this podcast, again, is to revive and emphasize women's histories, and it's important to place a face with the name. For example, we're going to hear the voices of not only Wangari today, but members of the Green Belt Movement, Wangari's peers at Nairobi University, and freed men from Wangari's strike on the government's political prisoners. Even Bill Clinton and Al Gore have amazing things to say about Wangari. God knows we all know what Bill Clinton and Al Gore look like but sharing images of Wangari and her movement can further cement her history in our minds. Our Instagram handle is educated underscore expelled, and I have posted images from our first episode covering Artemisia Gentileschi and today's episode. So let me know what you guys think. Now, let's get started with our subject today, Wangari Mathai. We heard her earlier, and I'm sure you realized by just that snippet of conversation, she's an incredibly passionate person. She's particularly passionate about public awareness and public responsibility for environmental issues, which naturally carries itself over in the realm of politics, especially as we'll find out in Kenya where Wangari is from. She was born April 1st, 1940 in Kenya. Her family is a member of the Kukuyu tribe, the most popular and the largest ethnic group of Kenya, making up about 22% of the country's population. Wangari has a beautiful opening paragraph in her memoir, Unbowed, which is a perfect summary of her introduction into environmental advocacy. She discusses the Kenya mountain towering over the village where she grew up, how the mountains were an inspiration for its people, that everything good like the rain, clouds, and fog came from this mountain. The tree of God, as she says, refers to the massive tree that grew adjacent to the stream where her village would collect water.
0: The stream actually came out of the ground, gushing up from the belly of the earth. Now, sometimes there would be thousands upon thousands of frog eggs between the fig tree and the stream. It was beautiful. the 60s, I go back to the place I had grown up and I discover now the place of God was in a church, a stone building had been put up. That's where God was. So this tree no longer called for the respect, it no longer inspired or it no longer was protected.
1: The tree of God was cut down and the stream disappeared with it. Now, Wangari was only a child back then. At the age of eight, she joined her brothers at the village's primary school and was eventually transferred to St. Cecilia's Intermediate Primary School. Now, environmental issues like deforestation are intertwined with politics in many, many countries. The United States leads as an example. We have politicians who believe that climate change is a hoax, a president who has pulled us out of an almost universally signed Paris Accord, and a Republican Party who thinks that we need to bring back environmentally degrading industries with full force, regardless of scientific research, saying we should do the opposite. My understanding of this conservative pro-business rampage is frankly all over the place. We're in a new phenomena of politics. However, in Kenya, the ties between environmental degradation and politics are directly rooted in 19th century British colonization. Wangari notes on several accounts that she didn't understand any of the propaganda that was floating around while she was in school, but it becomes a huge part of her campaign as the Kenyan government tries to stop her advocacy, and we'll talk about that in just a sec. In 1960, after graduating in the public school system in Kenya, Wangari receives a Kennedy scholarship and she flew to the US to receive her college education. She spends five and a half years in America and leaves in 1966 with a master's degree from the University of Pittsburgh. Wangari then studies in Germany and then heads back to Kenya at the University of Nairobi where she obtained her doctorate. She was the first woman scholar in East and Central Africa to obtain her PhD. During the same year that she returned home, she was married, and almost as quickly, she was divorced.
0: When I went back home, I was constantly being reminded, I'm an African woman, and so there are certain things I shouldn't do, certain ambitions that I should not entertain. That was a problem for me because I had never thought of myself as as an African woman. I never thought of myself as a woman to begin with. For me, the limit was my capacity, my capability.
1: Wangari came back to Kenya an advocate, and the people around her, the people holding political positions, were not ready for her. In Nairobi, capital of Kenya, Europeans and
0: Africans still walk the streets in fear of a dreaded Mau Mau for it is that band of fanatics whose bloody deeds have cast a dark shadow across the face of Kenya. All who carry the mark of the Mau Mau must be hunted out so that peace may come to this troubled colony.
1: The Mau Mau rebellion against the British colonizers were led in large part by the Kukuyu tribe and lasted from 1952 to 1960. Now, Wangari was still in school and ultimately protected from the uprising, but this is a turning point in Kenya and the effects of the uprising will forever last. This was the first collective liberation struggle against the British presidents in Kenya and one that has severely impacted Kenyan forests. As the clip noted, British military were hunting the Mau Mau down and they were not merciful. They would strip villages down to find rebels and move the residents of those villages to government controlled spaces and housing. To build these controlled plots of land, the British needed supplies like wood. Forests were cut down to make room for these new villages and for the projects that came in tandem. However, the Mau Mau rebels knew their country better than any of these soldiers and would hide in the forests as shelter. But when the British government found out, they began to burn the forests. The Kenyan Human Rights Commission estimates that 90,000 Kenyans were executed, tortured, or maimed during the crackdown, and 160,000 were detained in appalling conditions. Less than 100 British settlers were killed, some estimate in the low 30s. In 1963, Jomo Junyata was announced Kenya's first prime minister. Now, he died in 1978, 15 years after being elected. However, the main political figure we're going to talk about today is Daniel Arap Moy, who became the next leader of Kenya. Although Kenyatta was known for continuing deforestation in the country for political bribes, government funding, etc., Moy enhanced environmental degradation with heavy amounts of corruption.
0: I was teaching something called biogeography and plant ecology at Kenyatta College, and I wanted students to see Kemakia Forest, where the government was cutting the indigenous forest in order to produce timber and pulp. I was arrested in May, 1982. We were detained and sent to maximum security isolation as detainees of the Moi government for the good government of Kenya.
1: That was Kamoji Wachira, one of Wangari's colleagues at Nairobi University. And after hearing that, I hope you can trust me when I say that the Moi government practically wanted Wangari Mathai dead. In 1977, a few years before Moy was elected, Wangari created the infamous Green Belt Movement. When she returned from the U.S. to Kenya after her college residency, she began to process the adverse relationship between poverty and sustainability.
0: Poverty will cause environmental degradation because as I sometimes do, a poor person will cut their last tree to cook what may be their last meal. They're not worried about tomorrow. They're worried about today.
1: And that's what motivated Wangari to act. She specifically targeted women because they managed the houses. They cooked and they fed their families. At this point, women were running out of resources in certain villages because of deforestation. Women didn't have firewood for cooking traditional meals, which forced families to change their eating habits. They consumed highly refined foods, rich in carbohydrates, and lacking protein and vitamins. People would get sick, and kids got diseases. For both environmental and empowering reasons, Wangari wanted women to become more sustainable. The Greenbelt movement would compensate about four cents for every tree that was planted. Wangari said, let's plant trees, and women said they didn't know how. So she taught them.
0: When the women started, nobody was bothering them because nobody took them seriously. You know, who takes women seriously? Then sometime in the course of the years, the government realized that we were organizing women. So they started interfering with our organizing. And they demanded you have to have a license, you, have, you cannot meet, you cannot... do. They harassed women a lot.
1: That's when Wangari appeared on the Kenyan government's radar. You know that feminist t-shirt slogan, weak men fear strong women? Wangari's ability to teach and empower these women is something I will never not think of when I hear that saying from now on. The Moi government hated Wangari in the Green Belt Movement. That was obvious. They used hate speech and physical violence in order to try to deter her. Translation, the Moi government feared Wangari in the Green Belt Movement. Here's President Moy at a rally a few years later after the Green Belt Movement was created. Now along comes a certain woman. According to African traditions, women must respect men. I ask you women, can you discipline one of your own who has crossed the line? After hearing President Moy's comments, I had war PTSD flashbacks to the 2016 election. I want to go into three anecdotes of Wangari's life post-creation of the Greenbelt Movement that I think describe her perfectly as a feminist and an advocate. In 1989, President Moy wanted to turn Huru Park, a recreational public park in Nairobi into a skyscraper and have it funded by an international bank. The skyscraper would include a larger-than-life statue of Moy himself outside of the building, which is so egotistical and hilarious in retrospect. The original size of the park had already been reduced by development. A hotel, a road, a members-only golf course, and a football stadium had all been built in the park in the past year. When the Greenbelt movement heard about Moy's plans, they took action through the British government. Why would they do here in Nairobi that they would never try to do in Hyde Park of London or Central Park of New York, she wrote in a letter to the parliament? Wangari's coverage in local papers proliferated after she began protesting the skyscraper, and it wasn't pretty.
0: And they had nothing but abusive language against me. They want to get personal. They want to debase your womanhood. So I said, now, don't give me that.
1: It's true. There was more intensive language used than the Moy clip we heard earlier. At one point, he said Wangari and her fellow protesters had insects in their head. Wangari said that her friends would walk to the other side of the street to avoid talking to her. Her picture is on the front page of the Nairobi newspaper, with statements made by the members of parliament, all stating that they were just a bunch of divorcees, and their actions will not affect the park being torn down. A month later in December 1989, ground broke on tearing the park down. Additionally, Wangari was forced by the government to vacate her office, and the Greenbelt Movement's operation moved into her personal home. The government then audited the Greenbelt movement in an apparent attempt to shut it down after the protests. However, despite the planned operations, her protests, the government's response, and the media coverage it garnered, led foreign investors to cancel the project in January 1990. LA Times even covered it.
0: It was at that point that people felt that if one little woman of no no significance as far as they were concerned, except that I was so stubborn, can stop that building. Surely this government can be changed.
1: It's important to remind you that Wangari is not a member of the parliament. She runs the Greenbelt Movement's operations. Wangari and other members of the Greenbelt Movement would teach women in community buildings and in the field about how to plant and maintain trees. And in turn, they were learning a lot about women's rights. The Greenbelt Movement is still a very active organization, and it's pretty unanimous that Wangari has left a legacy. Now let's return to the Mau Mau Rebellion. British officials governing Kenya throughout the 1950s were killing any Kenyan that presented themselves as a threat. Flash forward to 1992, President Moy was still in power, and the same brutal mentality was shared among Kenyan politicians with political prisoners. These individuals could have been arrested for political protesting. Wangari herself was on bail at this time, though the charges were eventually dropped, but you could have also been arrested for sedition and libel. Wangari and a group of mothers took to Uhuru Park, the same public park she fought for in 1989. They labeled a section of the park Freedom Corner to pressure the government to release the political prisoners. Soon, it wasn't just Wangari and the mothers, but victims of political imprisonment who came to share their personal experiences. They stayed there overnight for four days until the police came. They brutally attacked the protesters, But before the group could run off through fear of their own lives, something amazing happened.
0: In that moment of desperation, women stripped, stuck naked. In the African tradition, Every woman who is about your mother's age is also your mother, and you must treat her with the same respect. If men beat women, it is like sons violating their mothers, and the mothers respond by cursing them.
1: Women curse the police by showing their breasts. The video of this happening, of the protesters being violated by the police, is incredibly graphic. But at a certain point, The mothers began, one by one, taking off their clothes. Words were not even needed among the chaos. It was almost telecommunication. But despite their best efforts, many women were beaten. Wangari was in a coma and taken to the hospital. The next day, the women who were not injured returned to Freedom Corner to continue protesting. And Wangari shows back up. They continue the protest for 11 more months until early 1993. President Moy was forced to release the prisoners.
0: There was a ceremony at the cathedral to welcome us back to freedom. She said that as far as she is concerned, all of us are her sons. She gave each one of us a huge hug to welcome us back to freedom. Of course, it was very, very touching.
1: Moys last major attempt to take Wangari down was in 1998. The government was cutting down public land in Karua Forest near Nairobi and giving timber to political supporters. So what does a rebel woman like Mathai do to protest? The Greenbelt Movement plans a tree planting mission. Due to the already incredibly high tension between the Greenbelt Movement and the Moy government, which at this point is heavily circulating through the media, Moy sets police out in front of the Karua Forest entrance. To bar the tree planting mission
0: we came to plant trees as uh, as we have done in the past and of course as we can all see some armed guards whom we knew were stationed here to prevent us from entering the forest we want honesty we want justice if you're going to shed blood because of our land we will we are used to that. Our forefathers shed blood for land. We will do so. This is my blood. And I, it, it reminds me of the blood that Wayaki shed trying to protect Kabila Forest.
1: She proceeds to lift up her hair to show the camera the wounds on the back of her neck. Wangari gained a lot of support when news began to circulate about Moy's bribery. And eventually, the tree planting mission turned into a massive street protest. No more
0: no more grabbing, no more grabbing, no more grabbing, no more grabbing, no more grabbing. We will never give up in our fight for a better government.
1: President Moy was eventually defeated in 2002 with a coalition government. Wangari Mathai was elected in the same year with 98% of the vote. In January 2003, she was appointed assistant minister in the Ministry for Environmental and Natural Resources. And in 2004, Wangari was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her contribution to sustainable development, democracy, and peace. She was the first African woman and the first environmentalist to win a peace prize. She worked on projects with the UN like the Billion Tree Campaign and even met with President, but then Senator Barack Obama in Kenya. They planted a tree together in Huru Park. Wangari died in 2011 at 71 due to ovarian cancer complications. She left behind a multifaceted legacy for the world, but most especially Kenyans, who she stood up for in the wake of political, social, and environmental distress. All in all, the Greenbelt movement has planted over 35 million trees. Here's her daughter, Wanjira.
0: She never did anything to please. She never did anything because she wanted to be popular. She did everything she did because she always felt it was the right thing to do. That was a constant in her life.
1: I highly recommend reading Wangari Mathai's memoir, Unbowed, if you're interested in her history. A special thanks to the directors of Taking Root, Lisa Merton and Alan Dater for making the documentary public use on Creative Commons. I'm sharing a link to the documentary on the blog, Our next episode will air on March 21st, and I'll be covering the history of Martha Ballard, an American midwife who kept a diary containing highly valuable historical information on what it was like to be a frontier woman, as well as ultimately discussing Laura Thatcher Ulrich, the author of Martha's biography. Until then, see you next time.
0: In the course of history, there comes a time when humanity is called to shift to a new level of consciousness, to reach a higher moral ground, a time when we have to shed our fear and give hope to each other. That time is now. Activities that devastate the environment and societies continue unabated. The Norwegian Nobel Committee has placed the critical issue of environment and its linkage to democracy and peace before the world. The challenge as I stand here today is to restore this home for the tadpoles and give back to the children a world of beauty and wonder. Thank you very much.